Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 23, Test Pilot to Astronaut. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So if you're new to the show, this is where we bring in NASA experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to tell you the coolest parts about NASA. So today we're talking with Scott Tingle. He's a U.S. astronaut, and he's about to launch to the International Space Station in a few days on December 17th, 2017, for the very first time. We talked about his education going for mechanical engineering, his time in the Navy as a test pilot, his astronaut training and his expectations for his first flight. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Captain Scott Tingle. Enjoy. T minus five seconds and counting. Mark. We have a podcast. All right. Well, Maker, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I know this is coming so close to your launch date already. Do you have what? What are your plans? Um, I mean, from now on, are you going to be traveling a lot? Do you have some training coming up? Well, this is my last trip back to uh, Johnson Space Center. Oh wow! Uh, I'm here for five weeks, which sounds like it's a nice long time, relaxing. No, we'll have <laughs> none of that. Uh, we've got a lot of training. Um, we got to finish up. We've got uh, integrated simulators with the full crew complement. They're coming in from Russia wow. uh, and Japan. To, uh, to do these simulators. Uh, I'm finishing up with uh, some evaluations in the EVA um, uh, community um, and then uh, doing a lot of payloads training and getting, uh, getting all, all my uh, rust knocked off my, uh, my fingertips so that yeah. I can be good when I get back up on station. Uh, and then the last week that I'm here, um, I'll be uh, really focusing on the family and trying to make sure the roof's not going to leak in the next hurricane, yeah. you know, make sure the bills are paid, make sure things are set up, the cars are running right, they're all registered, and all the uh, little details that it uh, takes to, uh, to run a family. So everything that's going to happen in the next six months, I have to look forward to my crystal ball and, <laughs> uh, and, and either take care of it or have, the, uh, have a plan to, uh, to attack it when it, uh, when it comes up for that. And then on October 27th, I leave a one-way ticket to Moscow, and uh, we, we begin final exams in the Soyuz. Are you staying there up until your launch? Uh, we'll stay at Star City until about 15 to 17 days prior to launch, <laughs> and we spend about two weeks in Baikonur, oh, okay. uh, which will be in Kazakhstan, and uh, so and we'll have training there, and we'll start getting on the whatever sleep cycle we have to get on, and uh, and we'll use that as a little bit of relaxation. But the uh, the family will join us out there about uh, three days before the launch, cool. and uh, we'll I'll see them from quarantine, you know, from the other side of the glass, yeah. and uh, and then. Uh, uh, then we'll get ready to go. And then uh, December 17th will be the actual launch. Yes. And uh, uh, and off to space station we go. Very cool. Hey, that'll be my first trip to uh, Russia, actually, is, is for is for that launch. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's I'll awesome. be a media escort for um, uh, Nemo Kanai. Oh, excellent. Crewmate. Yeah, so some of the uh, public affairs folks that are going over there, I'll be escorting his That's uh, good. His I'm, media. I'm sure I'll see you there. Make sure you're you're waving high. And, I will. And maybe we can get some time off the uh, off the side to enjoy a beer. Hey, I hope so. <laughs> That'll be fantastic. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of your, your stuff in Russia, though, is are you going to be doing some Soyuz training over there? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we'll go through and we'll do... 
um, some refresher type training on the Russian segment. We'll do uh, some uh, refresher training and final exams for emergencies and, and daily ops on the Russian segment. Mm -hmm. And then the big push, we'll have, we'll have several simulators for uh, Kanai, myself, and our commander, uh, Shklapirov, uh, in the Soyuz. And th those, by far, will take the most time uh, for us to prepare for, and uh, they'll be the hardest simulators to get through, uh, the Soyuz. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, we, we did a podcast a while ago, actually, now, with uh, Randy Bresnik talking about that stuff and, right. and his final training, and um, especially with Joe Acaba, too, because he had the accelerated program where That's he right. had to jam it all in within six months before his before his trip up. So, so right. yeah, they all talk about the difficulties of that. Yeah. And Russian language, too. How's, uh, yeah. how's Russian language training for you? Well, Russian language training has been a, has been a challenge. Uh, they always say it's the first 10 years that are the hardest. Um, so I've yeah. only had seven or eight years of it, so I'm not quite over the hump yet. That's still quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it is, and, and I can I can survive. Uh, but um, you know, when when things get really busy and they start talking really fast, oh, yeah. I, you know, I got to get them to slow down. I can't. I can't. It's very hard to keep up. Uh, I can pick up some keywords, and I can kind of sense kind of that something's not right, and we got to be doing something. But the details, the devil's in the details with this in this business. Um, oh yeah. You know, so you got to. It really exercises my patience and my trust, uh, which I have 100% trust in my crew and my yeah. Russian compadres over there. Uh, that includes all the ground crew, all the engineers, all the management, all of the uh, all of my uh, other uh, uh, cosmonaut um, colleagues. Um, I, I really do trust them, and um, and they trust me. So it. Uh, it kind of fills in some of the gaps that we see in the language. Hey, trust is key. Absolutely. Um, I, I myself minored in Spanish, and that's supposed to be one of the easier ones to go mm -hmm. from English to Spanish. And right. honestly, if I don't practice, which I don't, I lost almost all of it. So right. it just takes constant practice, and especially with Russian. Absolutely. Russian is, is one of those harder ones uh, to go from English to Russian, especially because yeah. it uses a whole new alphabet. So. Yeah. I'm sure they expose it to you quite a bit, too. How often do you get refresher training? Well, uh, when I was here, I was getting four hours a week. This there you is go. after I was assigned. And there in Star City with a, a native Russian Russian teacher, um, um, I was getting four hours a week as well. Wow. But now that we're in the in the final throws and getting ready for launch, uh, we're really focusing on the simulators. You know, it's kind of funny because, you know, I can be at a party and I can kind of have a small conversation with, with my uh, Russian colleagues and, you know, we'll laugh and we can tell jokes and sometimes I need some help. It's like, wait a minute, I didn't quite get that one. Yeah. But once we get into the simulator, um, assuming everything's kind of going as planned, the... Um, the language just happens, right? Because we train so much to it. We know the keywords. We've been through the checklist a hundred times. We kind of know what what each what each other's thinking, yeah. and, and we can operate off of keywords you know, together. And so it, it becomes a subset of uh, the vocabulary. Uh, but when things start going off nominal, which they do all the time in the simulator, sure. we really have to slow down and and make sure we're communicating. Yeah. And I'm sure because you do so many runs in the Soyuz, it's almost like, you know, could could you do Soyuz operations in the English language, or have you done it so much in the Russian language that that's just what you're used to now? Well, you know, to to me, it's about. I'd, I'd probably say it probably would have to be in Russian because everything's in Russian. The, yeah. the buttons are in Russian. The 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 menus are in Russian. The switches are in Russian. Everything's in Russian. Um, but you know, I. I I have not transitioned to thinking like a Russian yet. I'm working very hard on it, and I'm getting closer and closer. Um, but I, I still, when they say, 
you know, if Kuchon, you know, Kanopku, you know, I think turn on the switch and then I turn on the switch. Yes. You know, whereas, oh, yeah, where, you translate to English yeah, where, whereas ideally I would just hear it and go boom, mm. you know, and, uh, and I'm almost there and I'm maybe on this next trip, I'll, I'll, I'll take a, a big, huge stride forward. <laughs> well, have you, have you dreamed in Russian yet? <laughs> yeah, they always say that, you know, I, <laughs> I don't remember any dreams in Russian. Oh, okay. You know, my brain is just not wired for. I think for I had one dream in Spanish when I was taking the class. I had to take an interpretation class for one semester. Yeah. And that was, you know, someone reads to you in English and you have to translate either simultaneous or yeah. consecutive to Spanish, vice versa too, yeah. from Spanish to English. Yeah. And when I was taking that class, I was just exposed to it so much that I started dreaming in Spanish. And, uh, I really wish I stuck with it because that was, uh, I, I've honestly lost a lot of it so far, just not yeah. taking it. Yeah, and I always think, you know, sometimes it, it's definitely been the mo- some of the most challenging and frustrating uh, parts of the training. Um, but, and then, so on the bad days, I'm like, God, I don't know how to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, this language is just killing me. But on the, on the medium to okay days, I come back thinking, you know, I've put a lot of time into this and I'm making progress. As slow as it is, I'm making progress. I need to keep going with it. Mm-hmm. Even if I never fly in space with the cosmonauts again, because it's another language. There's tons of things going on all the time between the United States and Russia. Yeah. And, and having this skill is one of the benefits of being in this community. And I've, the, the people over in Russia are like a second family to me. Yeah, so, especially because you, know, you spend so much time I want to maintain communications. Right. You know, I, wanna, I want to continue that process. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it is a, it is an international space station, right? we got to work Absolutely. all together. And, and you're right, it's, it is a family. We're all going towards the same Goal. So, Absolutely. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, Maker, I, I, you know, besides all your training, I really wanted to just kind of go through your story. And if you don't mm-hmm. mind, I mean, we could start with growing up in Massachusetts. That's uh-huh. kind of your your home, right? Did you move a lot, or just kind of stick around Massachusetts? Uh, I was pretty much Massachusetts. I was born in Attleboro, Massachusetts. Okay. I spent some time in Bangor, Maine, um, and then uh, and then we moved down to Randolph, Massachusetts, when I was. I think in fourth grade. Okay. And so from fourth grade to the time I left to go to Purdue University, I was in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you went to um, you went to next was was Votech School High School, right? Was yep. uh, right before you went to college. So I did, yep. what got you there? Uh, well, you know, we I had a choice. I was in a community that was participating in the local vocational regional high school, oh, okay. Blue Hills Regional, um, or I could go to the town of Randolph High School. Uh, for that, and the high school was at the time was a, was a good high school, and it had a lot of the, your standard academic things, and you know people that went to college went to there, and you know, yeah. all this stuff. Um, but the vocational school drugs were starting to get on the rise, and you Ooh. know and things like that. But uh, so the vocational school at that point was um, kind of had had uh, had had me interested right from the get go. I was really good with my hands. I liked you know motorcycles and cars and you know things that fly and all yeah. this other stuff and uh, and they had a really good design program hmm. you know for machine drafting and uh, so I went there and I got to experience they had a great program you you go up to the you start at the high school and you start in a shop and I was in metal fabrication and then I went to machine um, um, machine working uh, uh, class, uh, shop and then uh, towards the end of the year I went up to the, my choice which was machine drafting yeah. and, uh, and so by the time I get done um, I got done with my sophomore year I had experienced so many hands-on types of uh, things that would right. only help me as, a, as an engineer or as an operator of some 
machine like a, an airplane yeah a small fast airplane <laughs> with <laughs> which, weapons yeah which <laughs> with you, weapons you, there you go <laughs> which is eventually what you got into um but you know i, I talked with uh, uh joe acaba before before he launched and he had a similar thing and he didn't go to a votech school but he did have a welding class and right. he had a he had a teacher yeah. that really inspired him to yeah. to pursue more of a science technology a stem career right. um and maybe it was because it was hands-on maybe it was because of trust were were the educators kind of influential to you the the your teachers that um, they were influential from the uh, standpoint of uh, if you want to do it then 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 do it go try it don't hmm. don't worry about failing just do it and and we'll work it from there um, they were very inspirational from from that from that standpoint at that time frame we did not have a lot of folks coming from this this high school going to college um, and I didn't think about that when I when I decided to go there I just really? went there because I thought they had a really good program yeah and uh, and it turns out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made um, by the time I was in 11th grade I was already working part-time as a machine draftsman and then on my senior year uh, because I had excelled on uh, a lot of the uh, the, the program program requirements um, instead of going to school on my shop weeks I would go to work oh. and so that I saved up enough money to get me through my first year of college and so I never would have gone to college had I not had that opportunity how about that yeah well what um, was it was it someone or some event that inspired you that says you know what yeah I want to take that next step and go to college well you know I I decided um, very early that I really wanted to be an astronaut. You hey, know? and right. uh, I mean, very young, at, uh, before junior high school, before you know, before I was in school, and um, and I was I was looking for for ways to do that, and I knew that becoming an engineer would be a good thing. You know, because the next step is I want to be a pilot, and then after a pilot, I want to be a test pilot, and then after a test pilot, I want to try to be an astronaut. And so to me, that was the path. And when I looked at it, I was like, okay, do I like doing all of these things? And if I never get any higher than engineer, is that good enough? Absolutely, yes. I would enjoy that. That would be great. And so that's that's how I kind of worked stepping through stepping through those goals, and uh, and the vocational background just made that you know having an engineer that actually has been down and bent metal and drilled holes and put things together and seen how it doesn't work and how it could work. Yeah. Huge benefit to any design team. Huge Did it help benefit. you visualize it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when somebody comes up from the shop and says, "Hey, I can't get these things to work." And, you know, I go, okay, let's go look at the drawings. It's like, oh, okay, the tolerances are too tight. You know, this, it's not realistic. You know, we don't have the control processes on the floor to actually make these tolerances work, so we have to widen them up, you know. Just having that knowledge and, and having the trust that when somebody from the floor comes up and says, hey, why are you designing it like this? We really need it like this, to listen to them. Yeah, you know, because it gave you perspective. It absolutely. gave you perspective on both ends. The, the design, you know, looking at paper, but yeah. then also absolutely. looking at, you know, thinking about the machines and the guys in the shop. Um, so what? So why mechanical? Uh, well, the school, the college I went to only had mechanical, mechanical at, at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I went, uh, decided to, to do that. And uh, but I, I um, tried to specialize and take as many courses as I could in the thermal sciences, because I had a, a big interest in aerodynamics and airplanes. Yeah. And uh, and gas dynamics and fluid mechanics and and heat transfer is all what makes airplanes fly. Oh, absolutely. And so, uh, so I did, I did all of that. And um, and by the way, Blue Hills Regional right now has a great program, engineering program now. Um, it's pre-engineering, and they send a lot of people to college now. 
So oh, they've, wow. they've really transitioned. They've got a great equation going for, How about that? for their students. Yeah, I couldn't well, be I mean, more proud you, of them. You kind of set the bar here when you were talking about your plan. I'm going to take all these steps to get to astronaut. And then the yeah. last two were test pilot astronaut. Yeah. Looking at your bio here, you followed it exactly. I did. And yeah. was, it, was that really part of the plan that early? Like you knew that test pilot astronaut was the last two steps from that early? I did. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, but what I didn't expect, uh, we're jumping ahead here a little bit, but sure. was that I, at each step, I really liked what I was doing. <laughs> it was not easy to make the decision to, to stop being an engineer and go fly airplanes yeah. for the Navy. And it was not easy to, to leave the operational community and go be a test pilot. It was not easy to say, hey, thank you, you've just offered me command of the Navy's biggest test squadron, but I'm gonna go be an astronaut. It was not easy, wow. you know, yeah. but, but I had to stay true to my plan. And, um, and uh, um, you know, if it wasn't hard, anybody <laughs> anybody would be, would do, be doing it. Yeah, right? that's true. Because so, because when you're thinking about it, you know, you think, okay, I'll just take that next step. But you're right. When you're in the moment, it's it's difficult, especially when you enjoy your job, which is absolutely. you know they tell you if you enjoy your job, that's absolutely. you're basically not working at that point because Abs- that's that's absolutely. the best part. Yeah, and the and the people involved in each one of those jobs, incredible, incredible yeah. people, talented, motivated, dedicated. Um, full of support, uh, they all, you know, became good friends and colleagues. Uh, you know, they're they're my ex bosses, ex people that worked for me, just friends in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell you what, when the when the cans light underneath me on December seventeenth, I'm going to be thinking of every one of those folks, and uh, they're going to be they're going to be coming with me to space station. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you're right. We are kind of jumping around a little bit, but kind of off that point. You know, you have to, you kind of worked your way up. You worked, I think that you were an engineer for a little bit, then then uh, you were a pilot, but you're mm-hmm. working with people in different scenarios. They're, they're both your coworkers, but then also you said you, you were a leader at, at some points and somehow you had to manage. Absolutely. You know, what, what did you learn along those way and how to, how to work with others and then eventually manage others? Yeah. So my first real leadership job was uh, I had just gotten into the Navy, I finished flight training, uh-huh. and I joined my squadron. And, uh, and I had been previously enlisted because I had to pay my way through college. I needed a job. And, uh, and I was an ordinance man, um, E3, E4 type uh, person. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of experience on the floor, a lot of experience uh, as a mechanic and, and you know, working with uh, ordnance and uh, putting things on airplanes and cleaning toilets and whopping floors and things like that. And, and when I got into this job, I had a lot of instant credibility because I had gone through that, that process. I had been them you know, for six to eight years. And, um, and so I was able to see dynamics in the community that I was in, and I was able to address problems before they became huge problems. Mm-hmm. I was able to help people achieve goals. I was able to stop people from doing silly things, you know, and help their families. And, uh, and it was really uh, inspiring to, to have that much um, impact on the people around you, positive impact, wow. and uh, and and once when I experienced that, you know, my, my life really started started uh, changing towards the teamwork, team building, relationships, leadership type things. It, it's really the core of, of everything we do. Even now, right? I Even mean, you're now. you're seeing it now in astronaut training. It's Absolutely. it's not just an astronaut. There's there's a lot of people behind you, right? Absolutely, yeah. thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. yeah, and they're all helping you to achieve the goals and yep. running their own things yeah, too. Yeah, thousands of people and 16 different countries that's right you know in terms of collaboration this is this is pretty pretty big you know you're talking yeah. about global collaboration yeah absolutely um 
and you know I'm sorry for jumping around for those who are listening because we're all over the place but we'll go back to your school um, yeah. you know you went to uh, to get your uh, uh, mechanical engineering is, is it Southeastern Massachusetts University it, it, that's where I graduated from but okay. they've, they've recently changed names they're now oh. University of Massachusetts oh, there uh, you go. North Dartmouth oh, okay in North Dartmouth okay yeah. cool but then you en- eventually pursued a master's and I'm guessing that was part of your plan too yes and that was uh, Purdue University Purdue University cool yeah. um, did you it says you spec- um you were focusing mainly on fluid dynamics and or fluid mechanics and propulsion. Yeah. What made you pursue that over over other specialties? Airplanes. There you go. <laughs> Part of the plan, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so, what is it that uh, about propulsions that really kind of, uh, you know, that that really you enjoyed? Yeah. Well, because eventually you yeah. um, worked for Aerospace Corporation and you were in the propulsion department, right? I was. Yeah. yeah I liked rockets. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, and big turbine engines big powerful turbine engines you know, <laughs> on jet fighters um, there's a lot of heat and uh, there's a lot of science and, and theory that goes into how they run how they work and uh, and it's just it just drew my interest absolutely so what do you do for aerospace corporation uh, I worked in their um, in their uh, propulsion department uh, mm-hmm. I started off working um, working shuttle uh, solid motors oh, uh, a little bit there and uh, for those that don't know the aerospace corporation is kind of federal used to be called federally contracted resource corporation they oh. got a different name for it now it's like rand it's like a think tank okay and they're there's positioned right next to air force uh, space systems command in el segundo california okay and uh, they're really in charge of just kind of looking over the whole program the, d- the details of the designs looking at the readiness of the vehicles and offering their their um just thousands and thousands of years of experience on uh, on helping out uh, uh, the community and, and and overlooking for the government the program and making sure making sure things are ready uh, yeah. to uh, to to blast off. <laughs> you know. Wow! So d- doing the science and the engineering of the propulsion aspect yeah. was your was your next step applying for the Navy to be a pilot? Yes. Okay. So did you have any flight experience before you did that? I did. I had a, a few hundred hours okay. um, when I was uh, younger at uh, in my undergraduate at uh, University of Massachusetts. Oh, okay. I had joined. I enlisted in the Navy. Um, oh, so this is back in college. You were already okay. Yeah, I did. I was 18. I enlisted, and I spent a couple summers at various boot camps and and uh, and getting educated on how to load bombs on airplanes and things yeah. like that. And uh, but one of the benefits was you get the GI Bill and uh, and flight training qualified. Ah. So so I used uh, some of my benefits to go get my private pilot's license, which I did. It took me three or four years. I was very slow, but but I did it. And um, during college. Uh, during college, during yep, college. and I got it. And uh, my first flight was I took my mom flying up to New Hampshire. Hey, cool! Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That, yeah. was, a, that was a fun day. That was Absolutely. A fun day. When I got to California, which has a huge aviation um, uh, community in Southern California, um, I met a guy who had a Pitts Special. Uh, which is very acrobatic, you know, it's limited to 12 or 13 Gs. It'll stall before you, you overstress it. Wow. And we used to uh, um, take, I used to take lunch breaks and I used to go fly in his pit special right out of Hawthorne, right where they're building SpaceX now. Wow. Right out of Hawthorne Airport. And we'd fly out over Palos Verdes, over the Spruce Goose and the Queen Mary, and we'd do Lomshervox and 
spins and rolls. And there used to be a, a guy that comes out of Santa Monica in a, in a Burt Rutan very easy. And he would always try to get on my six to try to shoot us. <laughs> and uh, so we would just dogfight uh, for a little bit. And wow. I'd always end up shooting him because he's got the canards. And, and I, I was fairly smart. I knew that he couldn't pull forever. It was going to he was going to be limited. And so I just bleed him down and then we'd go in for the kill. Wow. And, uh, and then we'd come back and we'd land and I'd go back to work as an engineer. <laughs> so on your lunch breaks, you were learning how to dogfight. How about that? Yeah, um, that was fun. <laughs> I'm guessing you had lunch after you did all those crazy maneuvers, right? Not before. It depends. But there was, you know, and, and you know, and, and for those that think that like, wow, he can just take all this, these G-forces and it's no big deal. It, I had days where I was not feeling so good, oh, right? But yeah. I still went, okay? I never backed <laughs> off. I just want you to know that. But the, um, but afterwards, there was, there was a, a hamburger joint. It just right on the way it was like really kind of in a bad part of LA right oh. so kind of on East LA from between Hawthorne and, and where I worked mm-hmm. and and I always used to stop and get a hamburger it was just the greasiest thing you've ever seen <laughs> but it just made me feel so much better yeah after after doing uh, all the Whifferdills wow how about that how long yeah. were you in the air before you actually landed and, and then eventually got the burger uh, it's usually about an hour hour and a half or so wow yeah. all right that's a decent amount of experience too so there's uh it was yeah. fun I was very comfortable flying upside down by the time I got into the Navy <laughs> <laughs> so that probably helped you get into the Navy right uh you know I didn't list that um as uh <laughs> as a qualification because sometimes they look at that you can learn bad habits that the, oh, that the military see. doesn't want you to have. Oh, yeah. And some of their worst uh, students are folks that already know how to fly something. Uh, uh, so, um, and I was warned about that, and so I just kept it to myself for a little while. Okay. Um, I had a couple of good instructors that they're like, okay, you obviously know how to fly. What's going on? You know, And I told them. I was open about it. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I said, it's really important that you know that, that I'm here to learn what you want me to learn. Yeah. And, and there's a hundred ways to, to peel the onion, and I want to know how you want me to peel the onion. And so. Well, I think that's the difference that, you know, yeah. you, you actually went in with that mentality, not the, oh, I know everything mentality. You Absolutely. went in to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, you, you went in as a naval officer in, in 91, right? And then how long until you were actually, you know, a Navy pilot? Uh, 92. Oh, how about that? Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, it pretty went, quick. It, it went fast. It went fast. And the program I went into, uh, there were there were no gaps. A lot of folks, you know, if you go ROTC or Academy, they'll 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 give you an orders to some other place for a year or two to kill some time. But uh, I went right through. How about that? Yeah, it was fast. So what were the some of the first things you were flying? Well, I started off in the T thirty four C. It was the the Mentor, I believe that's what they called it, <laughs> and it was a, a single turboprop. Um, you know, it was fairly. It was one of the fastest thing I'd ever flown at the time, but it was <laughs> compared to the to the fighters, it was very slow. But it was a nice little trainer, and we landed we six months, and you know, we kind of went through the equivalent of a private pilot's license. Okay. You know, for VFR type flying only. Uh, then we moved into the T two Buckeye, which I hated flying. It was so huge. My body did not fit in it. I couldn't reach anything. Wow. Um, and I couldn't see over the canopy. It was just, and I had to bring this thing to the boat, you know, I was like, oh my God, oh. it was really hard. But we used that one to actually go through and do some instrument training mm-hmm. and, and some acrobatic training and formation flying. And then we did our first stint, uh, day only um, uh, carrier landings out on the USS America. Wow. It's, yeah, it's uh, decommissioned now, but uh, I got my first straps on the America. And, uh, and then, um, uh, then I graduated from that's inter- intermediate and uh, went into advanced jets, which was uh, the A4. Okay. And now well, the A4, faster, the f- right? folks talk about the A4 and they're like, "Wow, I could never fit in that cockpit. It was too small and <laughs> it was just too tight. I couldn't, I couldn't move my arms." 
it was beautiful one of my favorite airplane awesome. you know it's all mechanical like no electronics or anything you just start up the engines the engine and it either <laughs> works or it doesn't and uh, the flight controls are all rod and tube and 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 uh, cables right. and so you're just pushing stuff around and you're like yep that's working and it had mechanical leading edge slats so when you got slow these things would pop down and when you went fast they would pop up all automatic oh you wow know, you, well, it's just based off of dynamics you know aerodynamics uh, when you know they just slide up and down on these rails wow and uh and the cockpit was so tight it fits you like a glove you know and you could feel every little thing that that jet wanted you to do and uh you know compared to jets today the a4 is you know slow and bulky and whatever but you know the the roll rate was god it was, must have been about 320 degrees a second maybe 300 it was really fast in fact that the angels used to fly the the a4 a long time ago because it had such a great roll rate but wow. um, but it's definitely uh, uh one of the top two airplanes that uh, that i've ever flown i love <laughs> i love the if i could buy an a4 i would buy an a4 <laughs> Well, how many? Uh, so you said it fit you like a glove, and you know you're you're talking. How many G's did that get up to? Um, yeah, I think it was limited to probably five or so, four or five. It wasn't. It wasn't. There were old airplanes, and a lot of the limitations we have are for, t- for fatigue life, not what it can really take. So, okay. you know, we didn't we didn't really fight those airplanes to uh, to max uh, max performance like that. Okay. They were they were there for training and and uh, they worked out good. But we did a lot of form flying. We did a lot of night flying, and and we brought that uh, that airplane to the ship um, as well, day only. But, uh, but yeah, uh, but it didn't have was... lights or anything, or was it just difficult to fly at night? Um, fl- landing at the ship. Um, at night is the scariest thing you'll ever do, oh. and so um, we uh, we offload that training to your final airplane with all the bells and whistles. The F-18 is the one I got. Oh, okay. And uh, and so you know, going at night on an, in an A-4 is uh, could it be done? Yeah, they used to do it all the time, but yeah, it's it, it's high risk. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, how about those first couple times landing on the aircraft carrier? I'm sure that's a stressful time. Yeah, it's very stressful, and you know, you're by yourself. Yeah. You, know, you, oh, want, to, you okay. want to talk about somebody giving you the keys and say, "Here, don't hurt yourself." <laughs> you know, that's that's it. The wow. uh, the T2 was was kind of okay, and you know, I was uh, I did okay. I was never never the you know the top gun of uh, landing at the ship. Hmm. When I got to the A4, my uh, first landing was really hard, and oh. uh, uh, to the point where we thought we broke the airplane, but. Um, and it was a bad grade. And since we only did, I think, six total landings uh, to pass, I had to really do good on the last five. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Which I did. I did. Okay. I did. I did really good, and uh, and I got through um, on mm. that, and slightly above average or whatever. Cool. And uh, so that was that was fun. And then when we got into the uh, the F-18 for the final the final you know the my the airplane that I was uh, assigned to fly, um, a bunch of new systems and a, and a whole new way to think about uh, operating off the ship. And uh, it was very exciting. We did our first night landings in the in the F-18. All right. And I'm yeah. sure that was a stressful time too. It was. Yeah. You know, but you know, night you know in the daytime you can see everything. And and it, yeah. and you the more you can see the more scared you get. You know, at nighttime it's like oh. I can't. You know, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I can't see the boat moving. I can't see anything. I'm just I'm just doing what I have to do, and I'm going to land. Watching so. your mi- instruments, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, pretty much. We have a scan called meatball lineup angle of attack. We okay. look at the meatball that's on the ship. We look at the center line, and we have an a- uh, angle of attack gauge, hmm. and, and that's that's all we look at. All right. So I mean, um, how long until you transition from you know? I'm sure this is all training, right? Until you mm-hmm. were operational. 
Yeah, so I did my, f I joined my first squadron in 19, the end of 1994, and I deployed in 1990, the end of 1994. Okay. Uh, and I spent uh, the holidays of 95 uh, over in the um, Far East and Middle East. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, how long, from, from there, what made you go to test pilot school? How'd you get there? Yeah, so uh, I did, uh, I was in the, the first squadron for uh, the first set of orders is about three years. Hmm. And I applied at the two-year mark, um, having achieved, uh, you know, uh, the required minimum hours. It's like, I can't remember what, I think it was like a thousand hours or something. But, um, uh, and uh, as I was uh, going through it, a lot of folks say, hey, you're too early. You gotta go get more experience, you gotta do whatever. And, um, but I had such an extensive engineering background I came back selected and I was the youngest I wasn't the youngest but I was the junior person in my test pilot school class wow yeah how about that yeah so, so that, that worked out good <laughs> yeah that's fantastic um I mean t thinking about test pilots you said you said astronaut was was in your mind since you were a kid uh -huh. and I'm sure that test pilot was was definitely the the last step before um astronaut because of heroes like you know the mercury seven and and those kinds of guys is that that's yeah. why you wanted that path well i, I wanted the, that was the thinking i always had yeah. that goal as the icing on the cake mm -hmm. but but being a test pilot if, if that was as far as i got i'm a happy man it's a great <laughs> way to make a living you know yeah. you get to you get to work with some great people you get to do some some crazy things in airplanes and, <laughs> and you get to make things better for the folks that really need them on the front line. Yeah. And, uh, and so to me, it was just win-win. You know, at that point I was kind of like, well, yeah, I'd like to be an astronaut, but if it doesn't work out, this is, this is not a bad job. Well, so, so for those who don't know, you know, just what is like the overall, what, what is a test pilot if you had to describe it? Yeah. So, uh, you're connecting engineering to users. Okay. Okay. So when Google goes out and creates this new subroutine or this new platform or something, um, they don't just sit there in their box and design it and then and then sell it. They bring people in from the front line, you or, or beta <laughs> testers or whatever, and they go, hey, this is what we're thinking. What do you see wrong with it? Do you would, can you try this out and tell give us your comments mm -hmm. on it? Hey, what do you think about these design, you know, characteristics? Mm -hmm. And uh, and and then uh, uh, so they're connecting the user to engineering, and so the the engineering test pilot does exactly that you know we have experience on the front lines whether it's flying combat flying from the ship or, or flying whatever vehicle it is mm -hmm. uh, but we also have an extensive engineering background mm -hmm. and so they train us to be able to connect the dots between the two communities and 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 actually provide a better product overall to the to to the operators to the users that have to be effective but also to the business managers because they don't want to have to redo this product at the end of the at the end of the life cycle yeah so you're doing so, feedback both ways you're absolutely. Set, you know you're, absolutely. you're living you're living these designed aircraft but then you're also absolutely. going backwards and saying hey fix this this absolutely. needs to be tweaked there absolutely. and i'm sure that's why is th that must have been the thinking of why they selected test pilots for the mercury 7 is because they were the ones that had this experience you're designing brand new spacecraft absolutely and you need that sort of feedback absolutely so absolutely. you said you were working with with, um, you know, you, you're working with some great people. Yeah. So what, how was that relationship, you know, with the operational side, but then also the engineering side? Well, there's there's always little little things that go back and forth, like, well, you're a test guy, we're talking tactics, get out of here, you uh, know, sure, and, yeah. you know, and they'll, they'll rib you a little bit. But but as I got older and uh, and more senior, um, you know, I went to test pilot school in 96, 97. And so here we are, 
you know, 20 years later, hmm. right? With, uh, and I've only, I've been at NASA for eight years. So, you know, 12 years after test pilot school, I was working either as a test pilot or as an operational combat pilot, hmm. you know, and in the Navy, we go back and forth. The Air Force oh. doesn't quite do it like that, but, but the Navy goes back and forth. So you're always just kind of changing groups and communities and, and things like that. But, but, um, during my second tour as a, as a test pilot, I was at, uh, I was at, um, uh, the carrier suit uh, department. I was actually the lead for the department, and so anything that went to the ship had to come through us. Huh. And uh, and we, you know, new airplanes, new systems, you know, whatever it was, and we'd actually go out and certify the ships as safe for flight mm -hmm. on their systems, and we'd tweak their systems and make sure they were working just right. Yeah. And uh, we'd get calls from folks in uh, Bahrain, you know, they're in the Persian Gulf, and hey, our our systems, something's off. You know, we've had a couple near misses here. Can you come out? And uh, we'd get a team together and go out, and we'd look at it and fix it. Oh, and, cool. uh, and do what we uh, needed to do. But the, uh, the, the, that whole process, uh, you know, you're working with military folks, you're working with civil servants, and you're working with contractors. Yeah. And they all have different ideas on, on what's better, you know, what the fleet needs, um, how things should work. Uh, and when you get them all together, and if you're patient, man, the team can pick up a um, character and a personality of its own. <laughs> and, and the product that comes out is just absolutely amazing. Those folks, they are just great Americans. They're great people. They love their job. And uh, they want to do nothing more than just support the troops 110%. And, wow. uh, and so, so seeing all that come to, come to work and, and being in the middle of it as a test pilot, somebody that's connecting all of those folks together, really, really rewarding. Absolutely. So how has that translated to working with folks here at NASA? I'm guessing there's it's a similar yeah. relationship, right? It's, it's absolutely the same. Yeah. And, uh, you know, w w uh, whether you're working commercial vehicles or you're, you're working Orion or whether you're working International Space Station and current operations, you've got people all over the world, uh, 16 to 18 different countries at any given time. And uh, uh, and you've got new systems, new experiments, new things coming uh, coming up, and and having that skill of being able to pull a team together and really kind of figure out what's the right answer here, um, it's just it's just and, and watching it work is just inspiring. Yeah, you know, I look at some of these teams and, and the support that they're doing. They they're in here on the weekends. They're you know something's going wrong on the station. They ramp up and they put the put down whatever they're working on and they go work this project you know 24/7 for six or seven days straight. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, living on coffee and energy drinks. <laughs> and uh, I tell you what, I come out of some of these meetings and uh, some of these experiences, and uh, I'm just I'm just so inspired by these folks. It's just incredible. Absolutely. I mean, you being an astronaut, I'm sure you've worked with some some veteran astronauts before who have been to space and, and know the mm – -hmm. so how – I'm guessing, you know, how have they communicated in a, in a very test pilot sort of fashion to others? You know, how does that relationship work with – you know, you've, you've lived in space, you know how this works, yeah. you know, how does that work? Yeah, so it's, uh, that can be a little bit tricky uh, okay. because, uh, you know, even though folks may have formal training, uh, we've got a lot of folks that don't have formal training and that's consistent with with civilian um, commercial operations. You know, not everybody goes through a, uh, an engineering curriculum or a test pilot curriculum or, yeah. or, or a flight engineer curriculum. Right. Uh, but it's really important to include all those people because there's different perspectives. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and the users are a very diverse group. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really good. The bad part is is that everybody's got a different idea sometimes. Uh, and, that's, and getting those ideas together and figuring out what the right 
right path forward uh, can be can be challenging uh, to do that. And and the the astronaut office tries very hard to uh, to make this happen so that the program doesn't get um, get a bunch of different different uh, perspectives and a different directions they they kind of you know and you know and, and the folks in the community whether you're in the program or on the operator side or on the or on the flight director side or on the flight controller side they all they all understand the dynamic and so they're all very good it's like if they need a no kidding this is the answer they will come back and go we want a formal memo stating the answer nah. and you know and so and then the meetings start and we figure out what we what we want to do Absolutely. Um, for that. But but it, it's a complicated process. Uh, but, it, you know, it, again, if it was easy, you know, we'd be flying in space, you know, all, you know, <laughs> hundreds of years ago. Right? Yeah, it's true. So. Yeah. No, space flight doesn't really have a reputation of being the easy thing, you know, That's the right. easy job to go into. So right. and especially with that much going on and that many people involved, right. you know, obviously these are challenges. But, you know, your background as a test pilot, like you said before, when you were a test pilot working with operators and engineers, contractors, everyone, everyone getting together and becoming that team right you know that's you know that translates it's, pretty it's amazing pretty directly yeah um, you know so so what what were the steps for you to go from test pilot to astronaut you know where, where was that what came up where you're like now's the time to apply well it's funny you should ask <laughs> I think I applied you know somewhere between four or five times oh how about that yeah and um, uh, my first job out of being out of test pilot school, uh, and I love test pilot school. It, 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 it was, it was a, an applied engineering course that you got to fly airplanes. And I flew 22 airplanes while I was just in test pilot school. Wow. You know, and which was uh, the highest that they had seen in a long time. I was just trying to, I was jumping into different airplanes any chance I could. Just you know? say yes just to let's, everything, Let's right? go, absolutely. Yeah. And um, um, so, uh, you know, I put in my first application as when I when I was working as an operational test pilot at China Lake hmm. and so we were the first guys we were the guys to IOC which means um, initial um, um, uh, operational configuration of the Super Hornet it was the FA 18 E and F okay and so I spent two years out there um, putting that airplane through through its operational paces so that the the fleet could uh, could could take it and go operate in the desert with it and go off of boats and things like that mm -hmm. But that wasn't considered developmental tests. That wasn't considered a, a huge test pilot job. Although, although uh, that experience I had at VX9 at China Lake was the most valuable experience I have had that relates to what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis here at uh, at uh, Johnson Space Center. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, it's just a, it's just a community cliche kind of kind of thing. You know, if they're going to hire somebody, they're going to hire somebody with developmental test experience. And <laughs> and I'm gonna hopefully we can we can take a look at that and, and maybe open that up a little bit hmm. as we uh, as we move forward into the uh, into the future here. Right. But um, so I had to go back and I did a, a leadership tour um, in the Navy. You know, that lasted five years, six oh. years, you know, or so. And then I went to my second test tour the whole time I was putting in applications every couple of years every time they had it uh, and, and it went 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 then on the last time I was the carrier suit department head at uh, Pax River really liking what I was doing I was moving into the program to be an assistant program manager and I had just screened for command I was going to command VX 23 which is the Navy's biggest test squadron wow. and uh, and it was just absolutely um, a dream come true and I was like looking at my application for the 2009 class it's like well I got to I got to go to my grave knowing I tried as hard as I could. I updated a couple little things and then threw in the application. And lo and behold, I got a call. Said, "Why don't you come on down and talk to us?" It's like, 
okay. <laughs> then I'm kind of old. <laughs> like, oh, come on down. So we came down. We had a good interview. Came out for the second. Uh, had a good interview, and then uh, then I got the call to be a, be an astronaut. But I had I had kind of given up a little bit. I didn't give up totally, but I was kind of seeing some writing on the wall that that my path was going to be leadership in the United States Navy, hmm. and uh, and having a having a great career there. Okay. Um, uh, but then I then I got this call to come be an astronaut, and uh, I couldn't resist. Like uh, I said earlier, it it was a hard decision. It yeah. was it wasn't easy, uh, but but I had to do it. Right. Wow. So was it? Um, I mean, you said you were going back and forth putting. Uh, applications in is that where you you know you realize okay I need that developmental experience yeah, yeah. so yeah and I had a couple of uh, folks here that I had talked to on and off and you know I was always the geek that would surf the new the new guys that got selected and then I'd email or call them out of the blue and go hey how did you do it <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh, uh, and a lot of them were really uh, really good folks um, uh, that helped me out with some some good in fact I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go in the Navy or go in the Air Force to be a pilot when I was working as an engineer uh-huh. and then uh, one class got selected and it was uh, taco out at uh, uh, he had just gotten selected um, from um, um, uh, from uh, the Navy side and I called uh-huh. him and he was one of the guys that actually answered his phone <laughs> and, uh, and I was like hey I, I'm trying to decide if I want to be an Air Force pilot or a, or a Navy pilot and it was quiet and then I hear this boy there ain't nothing like flying off the ship. <laughs> the next day, I signed up with the Navy. <laughs> no way. The next day? All right. There it is. I've made up my mind. How about that? So that I should have asked you before, you know, why Navy over Air Force? Because yeah, well, I was, I was actually uh, probably leaning towards the Navy a little bit more uh, because I, uh, I was I was enlisted in the Navy as you know during that time frame. Makes sense. Yeah. So it was a, it was an easier transition, but the uh, but the Air Force has some has some really nice machines and some good communities. Yeah. That are very very interesting. Absolutely. So. But you're you know even back then you know what's your you were calling up astronauts asking them you know what yeah. what what did you do to get to where you are? Yeah. And. That that astronaut made it very clear that maybe was the, <laughs> exactly. was the way to go. I might not make it to the astronaut corps, but I'm sure as hell going to fly off the ship. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So, I mean, taking that Navy experience and, and you know, your first couple years of astronaut training and, you know, we only have a couple minutes here, but, yeah. you know, how, how has how has that helped you, your experience in the Navy with especially, I'm guessing the T-38 was kind of a, a nice transition flying fly more aircraft. Yeah, it absolutely was. The T-38 is yeah. a really fun airplane to fly. Yeah. Um, and, and the ones we have here, I don't, if you've ever been out to Ellington and met those uh, the maintainers out there, phenomenal, phenomenal mechanics and, <laughs> and, and structural guys. Wow. I mean, they absolutely, those airplanes are 50 years old wow. plus. And, uh, and the amount of rework and, and, and care and TLC they put into those things, it's absolutely amazing. They're a dream to fly. It's like getting in a new car every time. And uh, they're just such good care uh, about that. It's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes me not want to fly them because I don't want to break them, you know. <laughs> but um, but they're really fun to fly. Uh, yeah, being the Navy experience um, was was really valuable um, f- from a from a grit perspective. You know, flying in, in a cockpit that's hot. Or maybe the systems aren't working right, or you lose an engine, and you're in a you're in a poopy suit because you're flying out over the cold water, and you're having a hard time moving and breathing, and, Ooh, yeah. and it, you learn to overcome these things by just focusing on the things you need to focus on. Yeah. I call it being on government time. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, I'm working for the man right now. I, I can't quit. I got to keep going. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and uh, that, so that that 
you know, the Marines call it, you know, you know, we'll say Semper Fi, you know, never leave a man behind or whatever. And, uh, and, and they just drive through it, the SEALs. They just drive through the pain. They drive through the, the challenge. They drive through the frustration. And you get a lot of that in the, uh, with, uh, with flying in the, uh, in the Navy uh, to, to make things work out right. Uh, but, the, but the big thing I take away from the, all of that experience is the, the oodles and oodles of people working behind the scenes to make, make an operation happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can be the guy that goes out and jumps in the jumps in the cockpit, but the cockpit you're jumping into, that airplane was just worked on by probably 30 people. You know, and it was probably, you have a whole support of thousands of people making sure the systems are designed right and are working right and are, are the logistics chain to get them the parts to you to keep them running. Yeah. And then you have all the operational people that are feeding you the intelligence you need, the, the information you need to have a safe flight plan you know and all the trainers that have t- taught you how to fly safe formation execute safe tactics and certified you in uh, in combat operations and and then you have people on the on the ship making sure you're not going to fly into the back of the boat and making sure you can come home and, and get that slider at the end of the night yeah. uh, for that and so to me putting that all together you know and it's just all of my friends working together to make the mission happen and that. it's it's the most inspiring thing I've ever seen. Fantastic. Well, you're going to be launching here soon, and I think uh, I'm not sure when we're going to re- release the podcast, maybe before or after your flight, um, but you know, you're going to be going up soon here in, in December. What are some of the things we can look forward to seeing you do on orbit? You know, do you have you know EVA's plans, some special experiments, or maybe some social media that you're going to be doing? Yeah, so we'll be doing some social media uh, a, a little bit. I'm gonna gonna hand it off to uh, Craig Bernard at uh, up at the CB office there. Sure. He'll help keep me out of trouble. We can do some <laughs> things there that uh, can get ourselves into trouble pretty good. So <laughs> I'll send down some ideas to him, and he'll follow through, and he'll filter out the things that'll get us into trouble. Right, Craig? <laughs> and then will uh, be listening. Yeah, um, you'll, we'll definitely be doing some science uh, up there. You'll be seeing uh, the little experiments up there. We do have some EVAs uh, coming up. I don't know if I'm going to be going outside or working as the IV inside, helping the other folks go outside. Okay. Uh, we are going to be capturing some vehicles, some Dragons of Cygnus, I think. Uh, we'll be doing some robotics uh, there as well um, for that. Um, and then uh, we'll be doing a lot of educational out, uh, outreach events um, uh, as we call down to different schools, different locations just to you know, say hey and uh, and say hey, come uh, come work in the uh, space community because it's cool. Yeah, go you know thing. study science, technology, engineering, math. You know, yeah. become a test pilot, do whatever you got to do to do your dream. And absolutely, like, and then, you know, maybe it, follow Scott Tingle's path and plan it out from from yeah. an early age. Yeah, and you know, talking about the test pilot thing, obviously that's very interesting to me. That's my career path. It's sure. it's, it's you know, flying the heat is just absolutely uh, wonderful, uh, great uh, experience. Uh, but, you know, the space community has all types. We have mathematicians. We have scientists. We have advertising specials, specialists. We have, um, you know, marketing. Uh, we have PAOs. We have, all, you know, all types of, of folks involved in this community. So no matter what your love is, if you want to apply that towards space, there's, <laughs> there is room for you here in this community. <laughs> I love it. That is the perfect place to a- end it. We'll do, we'll do it right there. We'll, uh, okay. Maker, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, for the listeners, just stay tuned till after the music here to learn how you can follow Maker on his journey and then some of the, some of the other accounts on, on where you can uh, follow along on the International Space Station journey. So, again, Maker, thanks again for taking this time. And, uh, you know, best of luck on your, on your launch and your, finishing up your training here in the next couple months. And, uh, and your six-month increment aboard the International Space Station. That's right. Thank you so much. And it's definitely time to get busy. Chop, chop, hubba, bubba. bubba. <laughs>
Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Scott Tingle. He goes by the call sign Maker. So if you go on Twitter, he is at Astro underscore Maker. Uh, and if you follow along on his journey, he said Craig Bernard's going to be doing the bulk of the work. But trust me, once he gets up there and he sees that uh, uh, the view of the Earth from 250 miles above the Earth, it's going to be hard to uh, not take pictures of all the beautiful sights. And he'll be sharing that uh, during his journey aboard the International Space Station for the next couple months. So again, that's at Astro underscore Maker. If you follow the uh, International Space Station, go to nasa.gov slash ISS. Or uh, if you go on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, we talked about this a bunch of times before but again you know just go to the international space station all the verified accounts twitter at space underscore station instagram at iss and you can follow along on the journey there if you use the hashtag ask nasa on your favorite platform you can submit an idea trust me i do look at them and i've already made changes to the show because of some of the suggestions you guys have been send- sending in so again thank you very much uh, just make sure to mention houston we have a podcast that's why it's easy for me to search and i can find your uh, query because ask nasa you know that's Everybody asks NASA everything. There's a lot of questions that come about. So we try to answer as much as we can. But for Houston, we have a podcast. Just uh, that, That'll help me out a lot. So uh, this podcast was recorded on September 25th, 2017. Thanks to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, Pat Ryan, and John Streeter. And thanks again to Captain Scott Tingle for coming on the show. We'll be back next week. <laughs>